guys. Thank you. I want to encourage you to take your bulletin out, and if you haven't already had a chance to read through that, take some time to read through that today. There's some important uh, information in there for you. But uh, now, specifically, if you'll grab the outline for our message today, as we kicked off our series on a journey through the book of Acts last week, I want to remind you uh, that Sunday morning is really the, the kickoff of our experience, our adventure through this book together. And and I'm inviting you to take time throughout the week to, on your own, read through the book of Acts with me. Now, now to help you, on the back of each outline each week, there'll be three days of a devotional guide to kind of help you. And and if that's a benefit to you, then by all means use that. If that is restrictive to you, don't use that. But read through the book of Acts with us. I believe it'll be a blessing to you as you engage it throughout the week. Now, I need to give a little bit of a a warning, a disclaimer for the message today. Um, Do not listen at all to anything that I'm going to be sharing today if you don't want change. And this is, I don't know how I can say this any more important. If you don't want change, you need to find a way to plug your ears, get something up on your phone where you don't listen to me. Uh, if you need to slip out and find an exit and get out of here, do not listen if you don't want change. I, I don't know about you. Do you like change? I, I've often said about myself, I kind of, I like change, but the truth is I like change that I like. I don't like all change. I just like my kind of change. But it didn't take a whole lot to throw me out of kilter. In fact, this is a real life story. Yesterday, uh, I discovered in, in my shower where I hang my razor to shave the few hairs that are left on my head, somebody had moved my razor. It always hangs there. It's in the right place, right where I need it every single time. But it was gone. There's a change, and I don't like it. Now, there's only three potential people in my house. It could be Carrie, my wife, Caden, my daughter, or Coco, the dog. And, and, and I don't really know what's happening. No one's fessing up, but it changed, and I didn't like it. I, I don't really like change, or I like some change, a change that suits me best, but those kind of changes I don't like. And sometimes it's not just about something moving or something happening. Sometimes it's information. Have you ever found out information that you, you didn't want to know? You didn't really want to have that information because now you're culpable for that information. It would have just been better if you didn't have that information because that information changed everything. Have you ever had that happen? This, this week uh, I discovered at one of my favorite lunch places, the, the Kroger Deli, uh, right by the uh, salad bar on the other side is the soup bar. And so the soup is healthy just by proximity to the salad bar. So that's an exciting thing. Uh, but for some reason, I, I took the little sign that listed what type of soup it was and I turned it around and I read the nutritional information. I wish I didn't do that. Because what I learned was the chili, which is far superior to the chicken noodle soup, is twice, almost three times the amount of calories. And I didn't want to know that. Because, because of that information, it's going to bring a change, and, and I might end up choosing the chicken noodle soup, and the chili is so much better, and I don't want to do that. I just, if I could just go back to last week and never turn that thing around, I would have no idea. I could eat in ignorance this week, and it would be wonderful. But information changes things. Now, I say all those silly things just to warn you. If you don't want change in your life, do not listen at all to what I'm saying today. Because it will bring change to our life. As you take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. 
And as you do, uh, just a a review, a quick recap of last week when we were in chapter 1, in the first part of chapter 2, we saw that Jesus gives a command and he tells the disciples what to expect. He says, do not go anywhere. Wait for the gift the Father has promised. And then it's this implied thought that don't expect to understand everything. He says, it's not for you to know all these things, but you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you. He's saying, do this, wait for the gift the Father has promised, and don't expect to understand anything, everything. And in the next chunk of Scripture we looked at last week, we see the disciples, while they're waiting on God, it wasn't idle time, it wasn't checking out, life didn't go on pause, they had to make tough decisions, and they obeyed God in the waiting time. They sought His wisdom in the waiting time. And the final thing we looked at last week was, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we, we saw this Pentecost, or this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Remember this, this wind and this fire and the very Spirit of God came? And the question to us was, what is the big deal about Pentecost? Why is it so important for the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And we touched on it a little bit, and, and the wind and the power of God and, and the fire and the purity of God, it was on His timing, and, and people began to hear and see God more clearly because of what took place. But really, today, we're going to be answering that Question, that third question from last week, what's the big deal about Pentecost? As we start, I want to warn us about this change this message brings to us. The fullness of the Holy Spirit changes everything. Jot that down with me. The fullness of the Holy Spirit, it changes everything. As you take your Bible, I'm not going to read every verse through this chunk of Scripture today. And reminding you from last week that the scope of this series is not for me to preach on every single verse, but we're going to find the theme that goes through each section of Scripture. We're going to read it all together, and we're going to allow God to breathe on this journey through the book of Acts together. But as as I summarize and highlight, you look at your Bible, and let's look at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 14. We find here the text tells us that Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Okay, so Peter has just come out of Pentecost, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this rushing of a mighty wind, and these tongues of fire came upon them, and and they began to praise God, and a crowd gathered. And something supernatural happened. As they began to praise God and give glory to God, everybody who gathered could understand in their own native language. They were perplexed. They didn't understand how this could happen, but yet they all heard God and saw God clearly. And so now Peter is preaching this sermon. At the beginning, he says, hey... Some of you think we're crazy. Some of you think that we must be drunk. He says, hey, we can't be drunk. It's too early in the morning for that to take place. The alcohol we have, I'd have to be drinking all day long to be drunk. And so it's it's too early for that to take place. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to preach a sermon. He begins to talk to them about Jesus. And he begins to tell them in no mincing of words, he says, Jesus is the Son of God, you killed Him. He rose from the dead, conquered sin, death, and the grave, and you need to repent and be baptized. The first thing we see here is when the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes, it changes everything, and one of those things is it changes our speech. Now, Peter, so boldly proclaiming the Lord... He didn't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and just go out and try to do some random acts of kindness. Now, there's nothing wrong with the random act of kindness. This is a good thing to do. 
But with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't just, I'm going to kind of turn over a new leaf and be a good example by my actions to those around us. By all means, we want our actions to match our words, but this was more than just a good example. It wasn't, I'm just going to try to be kind to people. He spoke up. He spoke the truth and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It changed what he would say, how he would say it. It changed his speech. I want to ask us this morning, how is your speech? What are the things that you are declaring? What are the things that you are speaking for in Christ? You see, this fullness of the Holy Spirit, it's not just for Brady. It's not just for Carrie. It's not just for Pastor Rex. or It's not just for some leader that you see around you. This is for every single believer. And with the fullness of the Spirit, it's not just kind of a good, you know, double dip or a second dose and we just kind of, oh, it's extra good religion. That's great. It changes everything. How, how has your speech been changed as a result of the fullness of the Spirit? In fact, these seven things we're going to walk through this morning, they, they get at um, some examples of what happens in a life that's been changed by the fullness of the Spirit. But it's important to know the evidence of the fullness of the Spirit, it's not any particular gift. The evidence The proof of the fullness of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. When we see the fruit of the Spirit in us, it's evidence that the Holy Spirit is moving through us. When we become more and more like Christ, we become more and more like Him when we're molded and shaped into who He's called us to be. This is evidence that the Holy Spirit is moving through us. It changed His speech. As we read on, we begin to see in this next chunk of Scripture, the fullness of the Holy Spirit changes changes our influence. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, we read, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And look at this last sentence here. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, now no doubt, there was some lifestyle changes. There were some things that were happening because of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit changed something. He changed their influence. When the Holy Spirit poured out on them at Pentecost, last week we, we talked about that, a crowd gathered. Remember that? They heard this praising and they gathered. And now, as they begin to live and walk in obedience with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, people are added to their number daily. There's something that happens with a Spirit-filled life, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life, that will attract people, not to us, but to what God is doing. And the question for us today is, it's not so much, who are you influencing? It's not so much... Do you have an influence? The question is, how are you influencing the people in your circle of relationships? Friend, your silence on something speaks volumes of your influence. You are having an impact on people around you. But the question is, is your influence changed because of the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Is there anything different in your life or different in my life because the Holy Spirit is not just in my life, residing in my life, but He is present and He's in charge of my life, is there something different that impacts, that changes the influence that I have? I ask you to not just put this off on some 
preacher, some pastor, some leader, some super saint who's been walking with God for decade upon decade, or some person who has some particular gift that you don't feel like you have, every single believer can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It will change your speech. It will change the influence that you have on people around you. Well, let's read on. It doesn't stop here. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10, we find the fullness of the Holy Spirit changes what we have to give. What do you mean? Well, let's look at the Scripture. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Chapter 3, verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to be sitting begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now this is a classic passage to preach from. It's fun. It's packed full of all kinds of good stuff. We could go three or four hours just on this passage. We're not going to do that. But there's lots of things. But but as I told you, we're looking for the, the theme that's going through this chunk of Scripture for us today. And, and there is a change that takes place. And for Peter and John, it changes what they have to give. He, he sees people where their needs are, and he gives them what they need, not what they're asking for, not what they want. Now, are we led to believe that, that there is no access to any money at all for Peter and John? They may not have any loose change on them, but I mean, the thought, the common thought from scholars is they had some access to, to resources somewhere. So, so why is this saying, silver or gold have I none, but what I have I give to you? He's saying, hey, I know you want money. Your legs don't work. Let me give you what you need and the power of Jesus Christ. Friend, when you experience Jesus, when you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, you begin to see your call to give, what you have to give, is not in and of yourself. It's through the very power of God. Now this change for some of us is to change our heart from being a stubborn, a a callous, a stingy, selfish person. And so the change begins to take place by opening up a freedom to give. But it's not just that. There's others of us that... We have a heart to give. We love to give. But maybe we feel like, what do I have to give? I don't have enough to give. Or what I give, it it doesn't make a difference. Friend, the Holy Spirit changes everything. The fullness of the Spirit changes what you see that you have to give. It's more than just your resources. It's more than just your talent. It's more than just your time. It's the very power of God moving in and through you that you can extend to someone else. Oh, it affects what we have. We'll talk about that later. But it's It's what they need is far more important than what it is they ask for. I ask you this morning, is there evidence of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life by the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Do you see the Holy Spirit changing things for you in your speech, changing things in your influence, changing what you view you have to give? As we continue, we see that there's more changing going on. 
in chapter 3, verse 11 through 20, Peter speaks to the people who are watching this healing, speaks to the onlookers, and we begin to see that the fullness of the Holy Spirit changes our focus. Let's look at what I mean by that. In verse 11, we find that while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running. So get the picture here. Peter and John are walking into the temple. They're going to church. They see this guy begging for money because he's crippled. He says, silver or gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. He takes his hand. He gets up. He walks. Everybody identifies him. They know this guy. They've seen him year in and year out. They know this is not some kind of sham. He has been crippled. Now he can walk. And the people run to him. And look what, look what Peter does. Look, look in your Bible. What does he say? Why do you stare at us? Why do you stare at us as if it's, if it's by our power or by our godliness? That's powerful. And then he begins to preach another sermon. This guy is full of sermons. He begins to talk to them about Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the very Son of God. He's the Lord and, and He's the Messiah. And he basically says, you need to repent. Turn to Him. He's given the same message over and over and over and over. The focus is very clear. See, when the Holy Spirit fills you, there's a fullness of the Spirit in your life. It changes your focus. How easy it would be for him to be tempted to say, you know what? God, (laughs) this birth of the church thing is going pretty good. Your power's moving through me. People are being added to the number every day. What great advertising. We can't pay for this. People are running to see us. It'd be good for me to do a little bit of PR. Ah, Good to meet you. Yeah, 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 I'm the guy who healed him. That's good. Yeah, yeah, come, come meet with us. We break bread. We talk. and We have a good gathering. We're growing numbers rapidly. 3,000 the other day. It was pretty good. Come join us. There was a change in his focus. I think the Peter we read about 60 days, a number of weeks before, would have very well been like that. But, but something changed in him and his focus changed. He said, in fact, the scripture says, look in your Bible, it says, he saw this in them. He noticed that they came running to him, wondering what was going on with him. He says, hey, let me be clear about something. Why are you staring at me? This isn't me. This is, this is not my godliness. Well, that's even better. He, he's not just giving glory to God. He's saying, make sure you understand, it's not about how good and godly I am that this happened. It's about God doing it through me regardless of who I am. This is the guy who denied Jesus just a little bit ago. This is the guy who thinks he has to help God out because God isn't strong enough, so he chops people's ears off. He's, he's now focused with the message. What is the theme or what is the focus that's been running through your life? You know, sometimes I, I meet with people and they may come and talk in my office and and they share with me the, the hurts that they've had in their life. And, and sometimes it, it, it goes back a little bit of time and, and there's one after another. And I don't want to make light of those situations. It breaks my heart. But sometimes I can begin to see on what's going to happen in the next chapter of their life based off of how they are responding to all the other chapters they've just told me about from their history. I can't tell the future, but I can kind of predict on how they're responding to circumstances. And some of us, the focus of our life is to be a victim. I just got to tell you what happened to me when I was a kid. I got to happen to you when I was in college. It got to happen to me when I got married. It's happened to me at work. It happened to me here. And I'm not making light of the pain. It breaks my heart. It breaks God's heart. But friend, the focus, the theme, the thread going through is you're the victim. And I'm not even saying you're not the victim. But I'm saying when your focus is on how you have been wounded, how you have been hurt, friend, the next season of your life 
What will your focus be on? How you've been wounded, how you have been hurt. Oh, friend, hear me clearly. I'm not saying sweep it under the rug. I'm not saying that it shouldn't hurt. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying where is your focus if that's what you look to? See, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are starting to listen. You need to not listen. I told you, if you don't want change in your life, you need to stop listening. I can see you're starting to listen. This will bring a change. If you start to allow the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, He will change what you focus on. And He began to to fixate on Jesus and wanted others to see Jesus. The fullness of the Holy Spirit changes our timidity to boldness. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 1 and following verses. We find Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. They're brought before court. And here's what's happening. The religious leaders are catching wind of this healing. And they're beginning to hear that they're talking about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And they're trying to keep people under wraps and control them and help them stay in their nice categories. And when you have people raising from the dead, it messes all your plans up. And they didn't like this. And so they brought him in, and and they couldn't figure out what to do. At the end of that section, it says, (laughs) they didn't know what to do with them because they saw the healing of this crippled man who was over 40 years old. Well, what's important about that? why, Why should that be significant? This wasn't somebody who just had, man, my ankles hurt today. Oh. Or I just kind of sprained it yesterday in basketball. No, no, no. This was a guy for his whole life. They did life with him. His ankles didn't work. His feet weren't strong. He had been in a pattern of sickness for his entire life. Friends, when people who have been in chains and they have been in bondage for their entire life are being set free, it's contagious. The influence starts to grow. And so the Sanhedrin says, stop this. Just put him in prison. We'll talk about it tomorrow. We don't know what to do. So they put him in prison and they bring him out and they talk to him. And and then now Peter, get this, the guy who all it took was somebody to say, Hey, you kind of dress like the people who come from that town with Jesus. I think you've been with Jesus. Nope, not me. They say, now, in what name do you do these miracles? Look look in your Bible. I'm not making it up. It's chapter 4. It's right in there. He says this. He says, "Um, let me be really clear. Are you talking about... The crippled guy who was healed yesterday. The one who, like, you know, been messed up for 40 years, his ankles became strong. Let me tell you. It was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then he preaches another sermon. The same one again. He needs to get another sermon, but it's the same one. And he begins to have this focus on Jesus. There is this lack of timidity, and it's this boldness. It's not his personality type. Oh, he was a talker, but he'd always mess it up. And there was, this, there was this boldness that came from the Holy Spirit. Friend, is there boldness in your life as a result of the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Now, whenever I, I share on something like this, I, I run the danger of people thinking this is a personality type or some kind of um, aspect of being an extrovert or an introvert. We think boldness. That's not at all what this is. Peter was an extrovert. But before Pentecost... He wasn't bold for the right things. We begin to see that God has a message He wants to speak through you. And He wants to bring boldness in you. Because it is the very power of God speaking in you. It's not you yourself. And so your personality type, or lack of personality type for that matter, has nothing to do with it. 
In fact, my favorite thing is the more vanilla you are, the brighter God can shine through you. The more average you feel you are, the better it's going to be. The challenge comes when you think you're all that and people have to distinguish between how amazing you are and maybe God fits in there. Hey, embrace your averageness. Embrace your, your unschooled, ordinary things that they noticed. It tells us that they, they took note that these people had been with Jesus. <laughs> Is there anybody in your life, just by hanging around with you and your boldness, they, they go, you, you've been around Jesus. Now, sometimes they say, your church, I can see it all over you. You don't drink or chew or smoke or go with girls that do, so I can see church on you. That's not what I'm asking. Is there anybody who sees Jesus in you? Oh, it changes some of the actions we have. But is there anybody who says, I think I see Jesus. There's boldness in that. As we come to this next part, verse 23, we find the fullness of the Holy Spirit changes our prayers. Look at chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, can you imagine this happening to us? We're serving God. We're being faithful. We're being obedient. We're wronged. We're thrown in prison. We're threatened. And we go back to our people. And what does it say they did? They prayed and they lifted their voices to God. Wouldn't we say things like this to God? Oh, God, it's so embarrassing. I got thrown in prison. Everybody knows about it. My name's in the paper. Would you protect my reputation? Would you help people not to think that I'm a scoundrel? Oh, God, it was so unfair. Would you make things fair? God, it was so uncomfortable. God, would you never, ever, 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 ever allow this to happen again? Friend, if you've not read the book of Acts, it gets worse. Keep reading. But what do they pray? Look at your Bible. It says, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak with great boldness. I love it that they said consider their threats. They didn't sweep it under the rug. This is not some kind of, you know, Christian science thing. Just say it's not there and it's not there. I'm not having a bad day. I'm not having a bad day. Sometimes you're having a bad day. You don't just deny it and it goes away. Lord, consider their threats. Look at what they've done. But don't give me comfort. Don't take it away. Don't protect my reputation. Enable your servants to be bold, to obey, to accomplish your mission. The fullness of the Spirit changes everything. Now, I'm afraid some of you are starting to listen a little bit more. I tried to warn you, if you don't want to change, don't listen. It begins to mess with what it is that we pray about. Do a little audit on your prayers with me right now. How is your prayer life? When you pray, is it anything more than just rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub? Is it any more than just, now I lay me down to sleep? Would you help my soul to be kept? Or whatever the rest is. I didn't do very good on memorizing that one. I'm not trying to make fun of that. If you teach that to your kids, there's an appropriate time. If we're teaching our three-year-old how to pray, then by all means, do it that way. But if we are praying some kind of nursery rhyme prayer as mature believers, as, as adults, God help us. It's indicative of where our heart is spiritually. Oh, pastor, you make me feel guilty. I need to have some big religious words. It needs to rhyme. I need to be able to sound like Pastor Rex when he prays on Sunday morning. No. Look at your prayer. When you pray, do do you just 
Make a laundry list of to-do chores for God. God, no, I'm sick. My knee hurts. God, no. Aunt Susie's got this. God, no. Now, now hear me. We are to take every concern we have and cast it on God. There's nothing wrong with praying for requests. But if all my prayer is, is telling God what's wrong and what he needs to do about it, we're just kind of giving God a chore chart. We miss out on what the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit does. But something happens. Lord, consider their threats. And then what? Help me to obey. Before they ask for anything for themselves, help me to obey. Look at your prayer. Is there anything in your prayers? God, I'm so alone. God, I, I, I've, been, I've been lied about. God, I, I'm, I'm facing this secret sin again. It's embarrassing. Don't let it get out. Or is it God? Would you, would you help me to obey? See, prayer changes things, and you and I are to be one of those things that it changes. The fullness of the Holy Spirit will change the way we pray. And look what happens at the end of that passage when they pray. After they prayed, verse 31 of chapter 4, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. He answered their prayer. He gave them boldness. He shook them up. These people were already filled with the Spirit. There was a renewal of the Holy Spirit. They had another outpouring of the Spirit in their life. And the seventh final thought I want to share with you on this is the fullness of the Holy Spirit changes our view of ownership. Look at the Scriptures. You'll see where I, where I get that, what that means. In verse 32 of chapter 4, it says, All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. Chapter 4, verse 34. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money to the, from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So what this is saying is, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it's wrong to own things. You should sell everything and not own anything. That's not at all what it's saying. What this is saying is, to be a, a Spirit-filled person or to be in a Spirit-filled church, you should give all of your money to the pastor and you should put it at his feet. Sell everything, give it all to him. That's not what it's saying. In fact, I can't find anywhere where Peter says, hey guys, here's a seminar. It's called, sell all your stuff and give me all your money seminar. He didn't do this. It just, it just naturally begins to happen. Their view of ownership started to change. They saw a need, and what happened? Hey, I, I have money. I, I can do that. They saw a need, and they said, I've got an asset. I can sell this. I don't need this house. I don't need this land. I can meet that need. God changed their view of what they owned. He didn't say don't own anything. And pretty soon, it wasn't that their stuff owned them. It was pretty soon that the one who was owning their life helped them to see the things that they were entrusted with was to help them serve other people. They used it as tools to get the mission done. It changed everything. It's the stewardship of their resources. Really, it was the stewardship of their life. You know, it's as hard as it is maybe to give money, it's a whole lot harder to give yourself and your time. And that's what God is doing in their life. And that's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So last week, why is Pentecost such a big deal? It messed everything up. It changed everything. And I believe that God wants us to, to park right here as we close this morning. 
Because if we're not careful, this could just become a history lesson of what they did and what it looked like. And isn't that cool? And that's a neat piece of trivia. And go forward. But friends, the same God who poured out his spirit on them is alive and well today. The same power of the Holy Spirit that filled them today is being poured out on believers everywhere today. The same God who broke through the impossible and met needs is doing that today. And it wasn't just for people who had it all together. It wasn't just for people who were this amazing leader. It was for every follower of Jesus that would let him work. But there has to be a change. This view of ownership has to change. I've shared with this picture with some of you before, but I have a simple mind, and it's the best way I know how to describe it. You see, when, when there is change that takes place, there's a conflict. You take my razor out of the shower, there'll be a conflict. It makes somebody unhappy. It's me. That's how I felt. I know. If, if I have this information that the, that the chili that I was eating was my favorite and now I'm going to have to be held accountable to, do I choose a chicken noodle over this because it, it, sometimes it should be better for me? It's a conflict. Whenever there's a change, friend, there's a conflict. But in this heart, this is the heart of someone who is not a Christian. They're not a believer. There's no conflict. Now, now don't misunderstand. There's going to come a judgment day. Sin leads to pain, but there's no conflict in their heart. Their heart is unified doing their own thing. And so uh, this silly, simple artwork, this is a heart, okay? You can't tell it's a heart. And I don't mean like the organ that pumps blood through your body. It's more like the, the center of your being, your soul, who you are, the essence of who you are. And this blue H is not an H. It's, it's, it's a chair. It's a throne. It's a control seat of your heart, your life. And the S is itself. And so in someone who's not a Christian, who's not a believer, self is in charge. No conflict. Why? Because Jesus Christ is outside of their heart. Sin leads them astray. They're in trouble. But friend, it's easy street. They just do what they want. If it feels good, do it. But when they recognize that their sin is leading them away from God, and and maybe they come to know Jesus They accept Jesus into their life. And Christ comes into their heart. Okay? But here's why this is so important. For every single believer, not just pastors, not just leaders, not just saints of the church, every person who trusts in Jesus with their life, there will be a major conflict. Because when God comes into your life, He brings about change, and you may not want that change to happen. God, you can take my sins... But really, what else do you want? This is my job. It's my career. Let me make that decision. God, you can have my sin. I may even let you have my job. But but really, who I choose to marry, that's my choice. What I do with my money, God, did you not hear it? My money. Leave it alone. It's me. God, it's, it's... It's them who's wrong. I've been offended. I've been hurt. What I do with my attitude, I have the right to be angry. But something takes place when Jesus comes into your life. It's not like before Pentecost, the disciples had God 1.0. And after Pentecost, they had God 2.0. They got more God. It's just like God plus. That's not what happened. Friend, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when He comes into your life, you get of all you get all of God you're going to get. Oh, that's depressing. 
But the problem is not that you don't have enough of God. The problem is that God doesn't have enough of you. You have limited God to stay in one area. You said, God, this is all you can have. But the fullness of the Holy Spirit changes everything. And here's what happens. This is what we just read about. This is what's going on in the disciples' life. And this is what's happening right now in believers everywhere. That when self gets off the throne and says, Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life, the conflict is taken away. Hear me. Problems don't go away. Life is not rosy. In fact, I want to tell you, it probably gets a little bit harder because the enemy hates what's going on. But there's no internal conflict of who's going to be in charge. God, I just lost my job. But you're in charge. I'm going to be obedient to you. There, there is this unity of what's happening. Friend, when we allow the Holy Spirit to have every part of our life, it'll change your speech. It'll change your influence. It'll change your view of ownership. It'll change every single thing. I tried to warn you as best as I can. If you don't want to have change, you've got to work hard. Don't listen to any of this. But the problem is some of you have been listening. We're now culpable for what we know. But this isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. Because what we think we're hanging on to is actually holding us back. So here's what we do. We get to a place, and in our faith tradition, in our family, we kind of use the word surrender a lot. You know, kind of like, give up, I surrender. And this is good. There's an aspect of surrender. But I'm confident today, that's not it for a lot of us. Because here's what happens in surrender. God, I've been thinking. Pastor Brady's been talking. This is kind of good. You know, there's some things I need to get rid of. There's some things that I've been hanging on to. And so God, you know... I made a list. I'm going to give you my job. And God, maybe I'm going to give you my school. God, I'm going to give you my marriage, or I'm going to give you my kids, or I'm going to give you that secret area of my life. And God, and you start making one, two, three, four, ten, twelve, and it's pretty good. And we feel pretty good about it. We go, God, (laughs) look at this. You know what? You're right. I've messed these things up. You take it. And God wants surrender. He needs us to let go and let him have have those things in our life. When when I'm hanging on to it, and I know I'm hanging on to it, it blocks the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what God's asking me. He's not asking you today. Because here's what God does. He says, Brady, that's good. That's cute and all. You're right. I need those things. But let's try this. Let's, Let's look at, I've got a contract or a consecration of your life. And, and I put a line on here. Why don't you just sign it? But God, it's blank. Well, yeah, I'll fill it in later. With what? Well, whatever I want to. But what, what, what if that, that makes me scared? Oh, what you're saying is, you will let me be in charge as long as you're not scared. But what if you, what if you put something on here that's unfair? Oh, you'll only let me be in charge if you feel like it's fair. Who judges that? And so what God does is he says, surrender, yes, but consecrate more. And when you and I say, God, I don't want you just to save me from my sins, but I want you to take every area of my life. It ushers in the wind, the ruach, the breath, the power of God, and the fire, the purity of God to burn away the things in our life. Not so people can look at us. Not so we can be just amazing examples. of. It's so God can do what he wants to do. It is so much harder to try to limp through life I don't know why we've made this about a punch your get out of hell free card. And we say, I I prayed the sinner's prayer. Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm not going to hell, but I'm going to live miserable till heaven comes. 
There's so much to gain. There's so much to be a part of. Oh, God, help me. I'm not doing a very good job. It is so good, friend. It's so good. It's so good. That your fear, that your doubt, that you're hanging on to that piece of control, I get it. I don't want my razor moved either. I don't want to be culpable for knowing that chili is worse than the chicken noodle soup. But the alternative is so much better. So here's what I believe. God wants me to shut up now. And if God's speaking to you, it'll be like a neon sign. You'll know. You've been waiting for me to shut up. Would he stop? And and in a minute, when Pastor Edgar sings, I want you to do what may feel like a tough thing. I'm not going to have everybody stand. I want you on your own in just a minute to stand up, to come forward to this bench this altar and kneel and we're going to pray together now if you're new around grace point this isn't the only place we pray but it's a good place to pray pastor brady can't i just pray at my seat that embarrasses me yeah you can pray at your seat but but don't you see the irony in that god doesn't want you to only obey when you're not embarrassed he says come to me come to me if god is speaking to you and you need the Holy Spirit to fill you with this power or maybe it's like Acts 4.31 it's a renewal of the Holy Spirit you've been filled with the Spirit but as, as the challenges and the trials of the day come you need to cry out to God consider the threat of what's coming at me and give me the power to be obedient you need to renew the Holy Spirit if God's speaking to you like that as Pastor Edgar sings I want you to stand up and come and meet me at this altar and we're going to pray together draw me close to you